Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Veterans in Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, and today we have another very special guest. Today we're here with Steve Wall. He's a PhD student at the University of South Carolina. Steve, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks. I appreciate the invitation. Great. So, Steve, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, sir? Sure. So I did four years in the Marine Corps. I got out. I went to school. I got curious and went back to school for more. And now I'm doing a PhD program at the University of South Carolina. Awesome. Awesome. So some curiosity leads to the torture of a PhD. I love it. (laughs) Great. Okay. So Steve, so you just mentioned uh, you had a stint in my beloved Marine Corps. Can you tell us about what prompted you and what motivated you to join the Marine Corps? And what did you do in the Marine Corps? And what was your time like when when you were serving in the Marine Corps? So I I really don't know why I joined the Marine Corps, except that I played with a lot of G.I. Joes when I was a kid. I tried to drop out on my 17th birthday and join, but the recruiter told me I had to graduate first. And then uh, I eventually went to Paris Island. I finished boot camp September 7th, 2001. So I was at home when September 11th happened and then reported to infantry school. I was with an infantry battalion. I was a rifleman. I got to go to Afghanistan. And I will say that that my time, especially in Afghanistan, but also other countries I got to visit, that made me realize that maybe there was a lot of stuff I didn't know and that cashing in on this GI Bill might be a good, a good thing to do. So at the end of my first enlistment, I went ahead and got out and I went to school and, and it's been a path of education and learning ever since. So let's talk about a, a few things here. So you joined the Marine Corps and you are a rifleman. And what unit were you with? I was with 1st Battalion, 6 Marines at Camp Lejeune. Okay. Okay. So you're in an infantry unit and you get deployed and you have these realizations while you're on deployment that you know, there's a big world and maybe there's some, some other things out there. I think, I think, man, I can, I can definitely see firsthand your situation because I too was in the infantry in the Marine Corps. I too, you know, on several deployments realized like, Hey, this has been great. In fact, when people ask me about my time, I often tell them this is the best thing I ever did with my life that I would never, ever, ever do again. It really motivated me to take advantage of those benefits as well. So Steve, you have these realizations and let's talk about a little bit when you're getting close to, to being you know, discharged from the Marine Corps, what, what was going on? Did you have a plan to go back to college or you know, what was that like? So I knew nothing about college. I was the I was the oldest of like all the grandkids, all the cousins of all my siblings. I was the first one to graduate high school. And so I had to go to all my buddies. And this this is the really interesting thing that I, I think doesn't get discussed enough about military and how diverse it is. There was a guy in my unit that was in college for seven years before he, and he went to like three different universities on different sports scholarships and he was loving it. And then one day he saw a Marine Corps recruiting commercial and literally went and signed up the next day. There was another guy who had always planned to do one enlistment, 
go to college and become a cop. There are other people that had actually finished college and then enlisted. So I went to all these people and I asked them like, what's college like? Besides, you know, the obvious things that I learned from like Animal House. I think, you know, at the time I thought, well, I guess I'll be a teacher. That's what, that's something I could do. I always loved history. I always loved, when I was in high school, I did very poorly because I was reading like the biography of Carlos Hathcock and Chesty Fuller in the back of the classroom instead of, you know, actually paying attention to class. I was always fascinated by that. So I figured I'll go teach, I'll go teach history in high school. And, you know, maybe some people, you know, that'll keep other people from ending up in Afghanistan or going to Okinawa at, you know, 19 and not understanding why everybody doesn't speak English. Right. So I thought, you know, that's what I'll do. I'll just become a teacher. And so I went to all these people and I had this plan. Actually, we're on a ship. We were on a, a deployment coming back from Afghanistan Okay, back by ship. So we had some time. This is before like internet was everywhere. Right. And there was a, in the, in the ship's library, there was a, a college catalog, like the old school, like bound college catalog with all these courses. Okay. I didn't know where I was going to go to school. I didn't know how it was going to be paid for, but I sat down and I looked at like this catalog and I was like, oh, these classes look interesting. And I could put those together and apparently that makes a degree and that's how you become a teacher. And I was all where I had like, I was making all these notes and I had this plan and my buddy pulled me aside one day and he was like, look, man, here's what you do. There are classes that you have to take, go take them, right? There are classes that you're going to want to take, take those. The ones that you find interest in, whether they're required or not, take more classes like that. And then eventually you'll be able to put that together into something that's useful for you. And I was like, oh. So hold on, I don't just have to show up and do what they tell me to do and, you know, take this list of courses. He's like, no, not at all. So it was probably the best advice that I got. I, I was about to say, I love that advice. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I pass that on to everybody I, who will listen now. Eventually we got back and my buddy, another buddy in my platoon who was planning on getting out and going to school, had found in the back of the Marine Corps Times this little, tiny little ad for a thing called Soldiers to Scholars down in Orlando, Florida. Okay. Um, yep. And this was back in 2000, late 2004, early 2005. So he, I think, you know, it only had a phone number. So he called and asked what it was about. And they said, yeah, we'll pay for you to go to school. You got to do some mentoring of some kids in the city. Uh, you got to volunteer some time at a school and you can, you can either be a teacher, a social worker or, or a nurse. Okay. So jobs, right? Yeah, exactly. And so they even had a program where part of the program was if you lived in a certain neighborhood, they would help subsidize your rent. And oh, then wow. you would be with all these other veterans going to school as well. And I was like, that sounds great. I sure. Why not? So I applied. Me and my buddy both got in. We ended up living together down in Orlando doing this program. We met all these other vets. We're doing all these other things. And I started at the community college instead of the University of Central Florida, where the program was based. Because again, I had, I didn't even know how to take an SAT. Like I took the ASVAP and I was done in high school. Right. I was on cruise control. So I just had you motivated. That's right. So I show up at the community college and my first semester was, was amazing. Like I realized that that's what education was, right? I had gone to school because I had to go to school. I had to tell people things so they could evaluate me. And I hated it. I hated every minute of it. And that's why I wanted to drop out as soon as I could and just join the Marine Corps. Right. 
but then, you know, going to the writing center and people asking me about my ideas and well, why did you choose that word? And what does that mean to you? And, you know, being asked to put together these ideas in a more complex way was just, it was fascinating. It was exciting. So I, uh, I actually decided to give up the scholarship two years in because I decided I didn't want to be a teacher and I didn't want to pigeonhole myself. And all I wanted to do was study history. And so at the time, okay. uh, it's, it's changed now, but at the time, the scholarship would only cover nurses, social workers, and teachers. So I said, hey, it's worth it to, you know, I got GI Bill, we'll figure it out. So I went to the University of Central Florida, and I just started taking history classes, which led to philosophy classes, which led to religion classes. And it was, it was awesome. You know, I didn't have any clear answers of what I was going to do and why I was interested in those things and the utility of them. But I was surrounded by people who said, it doesn't matter. This is what this, this is what education is. So keep going. And then I graduated in 2009. So it didn't matter what I got anyway. No one was getting a job either way. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh my gosh. What timing. All right. So it's 2009. You've, you've been, you've been studying and you've had a lot of freedom to study what you want to study. And I, I love that, you know, my bachelor's from the university of Kentucky was in Spanish and Hispanic studies. And everyone's like, why in the world? And it was the same thing for me. It was like, well, I, I just, it was something I wanted to get good at. You know, I'd had some positive experiences in Rota, Spain in the Marine Corps. And I gave me a taste for that. And I wanted more. And honestly, I was just like, I'm going to do this for me. I just sacrificed years of my life for the greater good. And now this is me time. So, man, I, I understand. I love, I love that somebody was giving you that advice along the way because I got questioned a lot. <laughs> so, so it's 2009 and you get done with your, your bachelor's. And, and so what's, what's it like for you now? What was your next step? I had exhaust. So I had the old GI bill where you paid in. So I had, I think I had a semester left. Something like that. I had a little bit left. It was back when, like, if you had a day, you had the whole semester covered or something. Right, right. And so, so a buddy from the Marine Corps was from Georgia, and he had taken me to the University of Georgia at some point. And I was like, this is awesome. I grew up in the Midwest where, like, soccer was, was the thing and football you know, no one went to college football games in St. Louis. So, so I was like, well, maybe I'll just go there and I'll think about doing grad school. And I had gotten into religion and I had been bartending and I was a big fan of booze. And I was like, well, maybe I could go study like what it means for booze to be produced in societies. And like, what are correlations between alcohol production and, and the trajectory of, of humans? I had also recently read a, a book called The History of the World in Six Glasses, which is a fascinating take on history. If, if you haven't read it, I strongly recommend it. Right. No, yes. That's a great book. That is a great book. So I, so yeah, all of that kind of came together. Also the economy sucked. So I was like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do grad school. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to study ancient history and I was terrible with languages. I, I tried Spanish. I lived with a guy who was a, a native speaker of Spanish. i worked in Orlando where lots of people, people are native speakers of Spanish and my Spanish was and still is terrible. So that didn't work out. So I was like, ah, I don't know if I can learn the ancient languages like I need to, because I wanted to study like Old Testament, old, old ancient societies uh, right. and where all this starts, especially with alcohol. So like, well, University of Georgia actually has a guy who's like one of the top scholars in biblical Hebrew who's written tons of books. Maybe I'll go do another semester of undergrad, try my hand at like Latin or maybe take some other religion classes and make sure this is the thing for me. And at the end of the semester, if so, then I'll apply to grad school there at the University of Georgia. 
So, uh, and, and even then I wasn't really sure what grad school was and what that meant and what, right. what I would do. I just knew it was more school and that sounded great. So I showed up at the university of Georgia and even after four years of being in school, I didn't understand how financial aid worked. I just, by chance, I was one of the lucky ones that someone said like, by the way, also apply for title nine funding, even though you have GI bill, which right. that I can't believe that that's still a thing that people don't know. Right. Um, right. And so I showed up at the University of Georgia, but I was out of state. I, because I had graduated, I no longer qualified for financial aid. So I finished my degree in Orlando and then transferred. And so Title IX funding was no longer longer accessible to me. I didn't know that till I had already signed up for classes and I was there and I oh, like, no. got a lease. So that's a lesson I also try to pass on to people. Well, I'm here. I took out a semester worth of loans and, and I went to class and I loved it. But I was still not sure what I was going to do. And then I got a call. But before I joined the military, while I was in doing my undergrad, I had always worked in restaurants. And so I got a phone call from some people who said, we're opening up a new restaurant. You want to be a manager and make money instead of going into debt. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. Right. So, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I ended up going to Florida after that first semester at the University of Georgia and I worked. And then while I was at Georgia, I actually met my now wife. So that changed my plans as well. We ended up back in St. Louis where I'm from and she went to grad school. I ended up working with an organization called uh, the Veterans Curation Program. That's um, a program that's through the Army Corps of Engineers where they hire vets to work on archeological collections okay, uh, by the Corps of Engineers. There's a lab and it was started in St. Louis. I got involved with them. I started thinking about going back to school. My wife was in grad school at the time. Right. Uh, and I, I started talking with all these other veterans that were there. And a lot of them were like running into these barriers at the VA. This is also around the time of the story about the Phoenix VA okay. waitlist and all that kind of stuff. And I had met a guy who was also a Marine Corps vet and he worked at a vet center in St. Louis. He had come to talk to us uh, to tell us about like stuff that was available, different benefits and programs. He seemed like a cool guy. And I just found myself frustrated one day and I just reached out to him and said like, can I, like, you seem like an honest dude. I want to know what's going on with the VA. Like, why, why is it this way? So we sat down and we had a conversation and about halfway through it, he's like, well, why don't you do something about it? Well, what would I do? I don't know. Maybe look into one of the four social work programs here in the St. Louis area, become a social worker, go work at the VA and change it. And I was like, Psh, get out of here, man. Like that, what does that mean? Right. What is, what is taking people's kids and handing out food stamps have to do with veterans? And he's like, you're smarter than that. Go look into the social work programs. And if you have questions, I'll connect you with people. And, uh, and I did. So I was fortunate that in St. Louis, there's Washington University, University of Missouri, St. Louis, St. Louis University, and then oh, Southern Illinois University all have MSW programs. And so there was a really rich community of social workers. I eventually went to go work with the Mission Continues, which was based in St. Louis. I worked on one of their national programs, working with vets all over the country. And that helped for me to put together all these things that I'd seen in the veteran community and justify and, and, and start to put some pieces together how a degree in social work would help me to address some of these things. And so I applied for an MSW at uh, uh, St. Louis University, had fantastic mentorship. And then I, I actually got a job at the VA before I even graduated and worked there for three years and then eventually moved to South Carolina and worked at another VA, which led to applying to a PhD program. 
Okay. But it was, it's been one of those one, one thing right after another, right? Yeah. And it sounds like you've had uh, some good conversations and in true Marine Corps fashion, when you find an avenue, you've, you've taken it and exploited it and made it work for you. That's beautiful. So, you know, you have this changing of locations and, and kind of changing directions with studies and everything that brings you to your PhD. So now can you tell everyone what what is your PhD? What is your field that you're in? My PhD is in social work. Okay. And the, you know, the, the questions I have and the interests that I have academically, I could study in different fields. You know, I could do it from an anthropological perspective. I could do it from a historical perspective, a sociology perspective. But because I already had an MSW, I was, I, I am a, a licensed clinical social worker. I've got professional experience as a social worker. There were also things that I just saw professionally, especially working at the VA, that I thought I saw these students coming that were ill-prepared and people, and not even students, there were, there were people straight out of their MSW programs coming to work at the VA, which has a ton of resources and a ton of opportunity to grow professionally. Right. But those opportunities were missed just because of, you know, whatever had happened in their education and training, they they weren't able to put those opportunities together. They, they were just overwhelmed and not not as independent as I thought that they should be right. uh, working in that system. I just saw a ton of burnout. So I was interested in going back to study, you know, veterans and, and veteran programming and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I wanted to make an impact professionally on the field. Now, okay. So you, you've talked some about this and, you know, really your, your time in the military kind of led to parts of your undergrad with the program you were in there and then some conversations and people you were, you know, talking to in St. Louis led you to working in the VA and getting a degree and becoming a certified social worker. And now that's leading to your PhD. So can you tell us with maybe a little more detail how your experience in the military and as a you know, the, your veteran experience, how does that inform the type of stuff that you are researching currently? So I'm interested in veteran identity. I want to know what it means to be a veteran on an individual level. I want to understand the process of people deciding to say, I'm a veteran, because I think veterans aren't always veterans. You know, sometimes they're parents and sometimes they're spouses and sometimes they're students and sometimes they're... There's a lot of cross sections. Yeah. And so when I actually, when I went to the community college, I remember walking by a table that this guy was setting up and he's hanging his army dress uniform with all his stuff on it up behind the table. And there was like a, you know, this sign that said student veteran club or student veteran association or whatever it was. Right. And I remember like thinking to myself, like, I definitely don't want to be them. Like, I don't want to be a part of that group. I'm here as a student. Like, I'm here to do this. I wouldn't tell people that I was a veteran. I worked, I started as a, as a line cook, and then I became a bartender. And I have a very distinct 0311 tattoo on my forearm that I used to make up stories about. I wouldn't tell people what it meant. I, you know, like I tell people, oh, it's my mom's birthday. When I was mentoring kids, they would ask if that was my locker combination. You know, and I'd be like, yeah, sure, that's what it is. Because I didn't, that's, I didn't want to be defined as that. And this is in you know, from 2005 to 2009. So there's, you know, there's a ramp up in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, right. wars going on at the same time. There's a lot of stuff with the VA going on. And I just didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be defined by those things. 
and I was looking for new identities and a new purpose and that kind of thing. I definitely didn't want to be the war vet in the back of the classroom that, you know, didn't talk to anybody. And and I remember my first paper for an English class was to talk about something about, I think, leadership. The only thing I had to write about was like doing a raid in the mountains of Afghanistan as a team leader, right? Right. And I, I struggled with that. And I had told, I had told my teacher, you know, I was like, I, this is all I have to write about, but like, I don't, I don't want this to define me. And she was very cool with that. She totally got that for the rest of the semester. We even read uh, the things they carry in that class. And when we'd have discussions about it, she wouldn't single me out. Right. But I had, I had things to say. Right. Experience. And I would even, I would even say, well, I know some people that were in the military, you know, and I wouldn't even, I wouldn't identify myself. I put all this energy into that for at the time. And so as I, you know, started to do other things, I, I worked and I started to associate with people that weren't in the military, even though all through my undergrad, my roommate was in the same squad as I was for most of our time in the Marine Corps. Okay. And so I would, you know, we'd go out in the world and we'd be like, this is crazy. Right. And we come home and we'd be like, the world's crazy. Right. And we, we, yeah, of course it is. We're right. We're, we have all the answers. They're all wrong. And so, you know, there were some opportunities for us to grow and be challenged in what we understood based on our, on our time in the military. But because we could come home and be like, yeah, everybody's wrong. Like not as much growth necessarily occurred as, as maybe we right. thought. But the things that we were studying, you know, especially things like philosophy and history and foreign languages, like that did open our minds up to some things and and some different perspectives. So that led to, I think that helped with my interest in like wanting to study religion and why people, why people do the things that they do, why they believe what they believe. So those experiences combined with finding people like veterans at the mission continues, right? And the mission continues, especially back then, it was a weird concept for a veteran organization to go to veterans and say, all right, so now what are you going to do? And that's be like, well, what do you, what are you giving away? And we would say nothing. (laughs) And they'd be like, what? I mean, there were some people who got it right away. And so I started seeing these other models of what it was to be a veteran because I started branching out. I wasn't just sitting at the VFW bar getting drunk every night, you know, even though I sat at a VFW bar and gotten drunk. So I started to see these other models of what it was to be a veteran and a citizen and just and to have these other identities and not be defined by this you know, my four years in the Marine Corps, even though there are things about my experience in the Marine Corps that will always influence my trajectory. I start to branch out after my undergrad because I have to, I no longer live with the same guy. I've, I now have a serious girlfriend who's, right. who wasn't in the military, you know, and so some of these norms start to get challenged and then also getting deeper into education and those kinds of things, all of that stuff. I think, you know, if a couple of years earlier, uh, my buddy, had said like, oh, become a social worker and go work at the VA. Like I would have just totally blown that off. I would have said, no, I don't want to go work at the VA just because I'm a veteran. So it was, it was good timing that all these pieces have fallen into place. Really good mentorship, you know, recognizing like, I understand you don't want to be defined as a veteran, but this has an influence on the way that you see the world. And that's obvious in our conversations. Maybe this is how you harness that. So I end up, you know, when I go to grad school and I do an MSW and eventually go work at the VA, I don't tell anybody that I'm a veteran at work because aside from, you know, it's no longer like when I was 22. Now I understand that like I'm at the VA to be a social worker. This is what I'm, this is who I am. And that's why I'm here today is to not be a veteran, right? I'm here to provide a service to whoever walks through the door, right? My veteran status shouldn't make me a good social worker. 
me being a good social worker should make me a good social worker, right? And that's how I should be evaluated. And that's not everybody's approach. I understand, but it worked out for me. And it, it definitely pushed me to work on being a better social worker and developing a philosophy rather than just saying like, well, I'm a vet, so I get it because I don't. There have been plenty of times where I didn't get another veteran's experience because I just didn't have those experiences. I was a white, straight guy in the Marine Corps, in the infantry. I showed up to work every day either to to clean rifles or go to a live fire range, right? Or be deployed to Afghanistan. So I was never in the guard. I was never in the reserves. I don't know what it's like to have more than one DD-214. There's all this stuff. I just don't, I just don't know. Realizing those things and putting together my own identity over time led me to ask, like, if I'm here as a social worker and someone's getting out of the military. So I ended up working at the Columbia, South Carolina VA primary care. And I was the first, I was the lowest level of mental health care that you could get. I was literally embedded in a primary care team so that if one day somebody came for their checkup and they said, like, I'm just having a bad day or I was interested in, in some kind of mental health programs, they could literally just walk down the hall and see me. Okay. So I was seeing all, and I was in the clinic for all post 9-11 veterans. So I seen all these people. I was their first interaction either with mental health in general, right. or I was their first interaction with like customizable mental health care. Okay. Um, so some people had seen people, you know, for behavioral health in the military, but they were just told like, well, you need to behave differently. So you need to go to this treatment and you need to take these meds. Right. And they didn't know that they could ask questions. They didn't know that they could say like, nah, I don't want to do that. Right. You know? uh, I want to try some, what else is out there. And so I, in those conversations, I realized like, are we as an institution defining these people when they come to us, right? We've put them into this paradigm or this framework, right? And we treat them this way as if they're all the same, rather as individuals when they walk through our door. So if I know, if I've looked at your chart and I say, oh, it's another combat vet coming in, like, I'm going to miss why you might actually be there. Right? I'm going to have assumptions about who you are and what service I can provide. I realized in those conversations, like, well, maybe not everybody wants to be a veteran. Maybe somebody's just having a bad day and it's not because they're a veteran. And then there's there's also the research about veteran suicide that we need to have a real conversation about what those numbers mean and how that research was conducted. And there isn't a straight line from being in the military to completing suicide. Absolutely. It, right. It right. doesn't work that way, but that's the way that we treat it. Right. And that's the way that we pour millions of dollars into staffing and research and all that stuff into it. And then it creates a stigma and then people don't want to show up. I know vets from my time in grad school who fantastic people and they are the epitome of why we, we have the VA. They are the people that if you met them, you would say that's, that's why we pay for all this care. Right. But some of those guys won't come to the VA. Right. And, right. and I'm here. I want to know why. You know, and, and I know those people and I can sit down and have a beer with them and I can understand why they don't want to do it, but it's not just them. This is a trend and I want to understand that better. And so that's what's led to my research interest in veteran identity to sit down with people and ask like, when are you a veteran? When aren't you a veteran? What does it mean to you to be a veteran in these different contexts? Is it different in one context than another context? So that way we can go back and look at the research that we have and what we think we understand about veterans and then reevaluate, you know, what it is that we're doing around providing services or, you know, the research that we're doing. Absolutely. It's so needed, you know, uh, so needed. And we have a, a lot of dialogue going on in the veteran studies community around some of the 
topics that you're dealing with with identity. However, you're right. There's still a lot more that needs to be understood. And one of the really interesting things is, you know, right now we're starting to understand and talk about it in this bubble. But so much of society and pop culture is just ready to latch on to the things you're talking about, like the veteran suicide rate or the stigma or the negative or, you know, what's very difficult, I think, in the veteran terrain is kind of the duality and the way we get treated where someone's going to say, Steve, thank you for your service. You know, thank you so much. You've done so much. And then they're going to turn around in the same breath and say to the person next to him, like, oh, I hope he doesn't go crazy. So it's it's like we, we have this weird kind of bubble that we exist in and we know that that's not the reality but so you're, you're, the work you're doing is really needed. That's excellent. So Steve, can you tell the audience a little bit about, obviously you're writing and, and you know you're going to get your, your research done. And I'm very hopeful that we're going to be calling you doctor here very soon. But anything looming on the horizon past that and any any future endeavors kind of in the near future well i'm hoping to get to the veterans and society conference that'll hopefully be rescheduled soon i was looking forward to presenting a paper at that and now that there's been some time i might even be able to revise and present present something better hopefully i'm working with my chair on some different things around the professionalization of social work and my interest in particular is around social work at the va and how that all started and how those two two things might influence one another. And, you know, did the VA help to form what we understand as social work or did social work inform the way that we've established the VA? Look at it historically. So we're hoping to write some papers and publish those kinds of things. And then hopefully by this time next fall, I'll be doing interviews for my dissertation. So I will be looking for people to who are willing to sit down and talk to me about their, their identity and what that means to them. Awesome. I mean, it's been great talking to you, Steve. Thanks so much for, for being on this episode of Veterans and Academic. We, uh, we, we appreciate it. And we know the public is going to love to hear this episode. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about all this. I've been Dr. Luke McLeese speaking with future Dr. Steve Wall of the University of South Carolina. And uh, until next time, thank you for listening to Veterans and Academics. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McLeese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.